You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. There's been a rush at the coffee machine. I'm just going to give people 30 seconds to come back in. So good morning. If you don't know me, my name's Mark. I'm one of us at Redeemer here. Been with us for a couple of years now. Actually, I think it's two years to the day or to the week since we started on Sundays. So that's really exciting. And uh, each Sunday's been a little bit different. We've been growing uh, each week. Each week we put a different, a, a further line of chairs back uh, at, the, at the back. And eventually we're going to be in the wall. And in the, we're going to have a breakout room with a big screen. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> to those in the coffee machine, let's bring it back. <laughs> All right. So I hope you've had a great summer. If you've been away, I hope you had a good time. If you haven't been away or you're going away in the next few weeks, please don't gloat to us as we go back to work. <laughs> Over the summer, we've been really blessed with a, a series on Galatians. So we've had six weeks of this, or this is the sixth week. Uh, we've had Galatians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So can you guess what chapter I'm going to be preaching on this morning? If you could open your Bibles to Philippians no, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm preaching on Galatians 6 this morning, and it, and it really is the culmination of the whole book. And I, I think Pete gave it to me because it's the shortest. It must be the easiest chapter of the whole book, because all I've got to do is regurgitate what's already been said for five weeks. So surely I can't get it wrong. No, I think actually, I think God is in this. I think in some ways, God has given me this chapter because in many ways I am the most proud person that I know. And so if anyone can learn from this sermon, it's myself. So I'm preaching to myself first and then to all of you. And I know that we've all got to change from hearing this. And me in particular. Am I trying to win the approval of humans or am I trying to serve a living God? So there aren't many slides this morning. There aren't big three-point plans I'm just going to speak as best as I can from the Word, and I'm going to encourage you all to spend the next week reading the rest of the Galatians chapter. You've, you've had it over six weeks, but actually sometimes I think it's worth doing it all in one go. So it's going to be quite easy for, um, for uh, the, the words lady at the back. Can we have a round of applause for Julia this morning? Because I kid you not, the hardest job in the church is making that projector straight every week. It's impossible. Either way, either way, um, it's going to be quite a simple message. Um, but I hope that fundamentally we'll realize that it's not about the jobs that we do in the church. It's not about anything that we do in particular um, to get us close to God or win his approval. But it's about the grace of God. It says in Galatians 3, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So I'll ask you, did, did the last five weeks make sense at the first time of asking? Um, so I'm going to give a quick summary of the five chapters, because I realized that not everyone was here each week. I wasn't here for a couple of the weeks. You may not have had time to read the whole book as a whole, but I would remember that um, as we go through this, the, the church at the time wouldn't have had it in nice six 
bite-sized chunks. They would have had it in one go. It would have been a letter read out probably at the front of the church from Paul. And so really it was designed to be heard in one go. Now, we'd be preaching for hours if we tried to do that. So we've let you off. But remember that there's a podcast. So you can go back and listen to the five. And if you have five hours, you can listen to them all in one go. So a quick summary. Paul was an up-and-coming Jew. He was well-known in his society, in his circles. He was well-educated. And um, he, he basically sends this letter, and the whole letter is about circumcision in some ways. Um, so in Galatians 1, um, it talks about Paul being called by God. In Galatians 2, it talks about how Paul opposes Cephas face-to-face in Galatians 2. And it wasn't that um, Cephas was not believing in, in the risen God, but actually he had come back to his Jewish groups at the time, and he'd come back into some of the Jewish ways, even leading Barnabas astray, it said. It says, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the flesh and the law this morning. Now, every time I say circumcision, don't think necessarily of actual circumcision, although it does mean that. It also means all the works of the law. So other things that the Jewish people do. You know, you go back and read the first few chapters of the Bible. So it's things like the preparation of food and all of those works that were the law. So every time I say circumcision this morning, I mean the whole works. And every time I say uncircumcision, that means the not works. And you'll see what I mean as we go through. In Galatians 3, it says, You foolish Galatians, those who have faith are children of Abraham. All nations will be blessed by you. All nations, not just the circumcised, but also the uncircumcised. After beginning by means, of the, by means of the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh. So, I'm just going to spend a minute on this word flesh. Because when I hear the word flesh, I think of juicy steak. I think of, where can I get the biggest 20-ounce steak? And actually, that's not often what it means in the Bible. It doesn't often refer to juicy steaks. So what do we mean by word flesh? It actually is, uh, comes from the Greek word sarks. You can go and read about this uh, online or in books if you want to know what it means. And it refers to the sinful state of human beings, often presented as a power in opposition of the spirit. And one factor that contributes to our misunderstanding of this word is the way it's been translated for for centuries into English. In the old King James Version, it was simply translated as flesh. And most Bible translations since then have continued to translate it as flesh. But this word is slightly ambiguous, it's slightly confusing, and it's slightly archaic. It's rare that you have a conversation where you use the word flesh. At best, you might say, what is my flesh? It's my skin. It's the actual organ on my arms and my body. Um, that, that might be one term. But of the 26 references to flesh in just Galatians, there's 147 references in the New Testament, you suddenly might think that this word might mean something. And it probably means the organ of the skin probably about 10% of the time. So it also means... It means... It, basically a few different things, four different things that it can mean. One is the skin that I just discussed. Um, The other is basically our sinful nature. So either the physical or the natural body, the sinful nature, 
um, our man's fallen spiritual nature before we've been born again in the spirit. And this sinful nature, which the Bible refers to sort of the old self or the old man before we've been born again to the spirit, is hostile and rebellious to God. So since the fall of Adam, our, our inward self has been um, basically sinful. We're, we're compelled to sin by our sinful nature. It's like, it's like the flesh is the sin factory before we've been born again in the spirit. So when Christ died... When Jesus died, he died not only to forgive us for our sin. I think when I think about this sometimes, I think of Jesus dying on the cross, and I think, great, he's taken the penalty for sin. So if I've done this bad thing, I get two years. If I do this bad thing, I get five. If I do a really bad thing, I might get ten years of punishment. And Jesus has taken that 15 years of punishment away from us. But it's so much more than that. He's not only borne the penalty for sin, he's he's reborn our sinful nature. He took the entire sinful nature up to the cross with him. And so our sinful nature died with him. And when Christ was buried, our sinful nature was also buried and removed. It says in Romans 6, The divine outcome of Christ's death is that we have been freed from sin and enslaved to righteousness. We've been enslaved to God when Christ died on the cross. In Galatians 4, it said, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Remember those born to circumcised to redeem those to uncircumcised. That we might receive adoption to sonship. I'm not going to go into that anymore. Pete did a great job. I encourage you to go and listen to the fourth in that series. In Galatians 5 he said, I, Paul, tell you that you let yourselves be circumcised. If you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. You who are trying to live by the law have fallen away from grace. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We learned about the flesh and the spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious, aren't they? It says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. And then you, there's, a, there's a kind of second part to that. Because those things are things I'm just not familiar with. Witchcraft. I don't know. It's never, never been something I've experienced. But then you get into the other acts of the flesh. Selfish ambition, fits of rage, envy, and the like. And maybe that second half are more things that we can relate to than the first half. The first half seem like, I don't know, big things that happen to really evil people. But the second half are more things like, oh yeah, I, I am envious sometimes. I do go in fits of rage sometimes. I'm definitely selfish sometimes. Those are acts of the flesh. And it continues to say in chapter 5, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no law against these things. Abundance of these things is what we get by being reborn in the Spirit. So, that's the previous five chapters. So now you know where we're up to. We're going to read chapter 6. Are you ready? It should come up. Do I want to rate the Bible app? No. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves 
or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want to be circumcised that they may be boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the law, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. God, I pray that you will speak to us this morning on this passage. God, I pray that we will come to know your grace. That we will come to know that we are new creations in your name. God, I thank you for dying on the cross. I thank you for taking not just, not just the penalty of sin, but actually dying with our sinful nature so that we can be reborn. God, I pray that you'll speak to us this morning. I pray that you'll use me as I bring the word and that we will be changed people afterwards. Amen. So, remember, and I said this a second ago, we say this a lot when we're preaching from lots and lots of these letters. At the time, the church would have heard it all in one go. So it's important we don't forget about the previous five chapters. It says in chapter 6, I just read it, For whoever sows to feed their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to feed their spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not be weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I just wanted to start with that really positive message. It's amazing. We are told to feed the Spirit. Don't be weary in doing good. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, all I do is be nice to people. All I do is do make dinners, bring the tea, do all these great things, and I don't get anything. Remember this verse. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's great. Don't become weary in doing good. Now, I'm going to talk about the beginning of the chapter. In my, in my translation, it's kind of split into two. As you read the Bible, there's kind of a beginning bit, and then it gets to all the, the good stuff at the end. And we could just have preached on the new creation and grace and stuff. Um, 
which I'll get to, but there's a, a few verses at the beginning, and I just want to look at them for a little bit, because I think they will require some individual prayer. It says, a person who is sinning needs our help. Paul says, restore him. A person who's sinning needs our help. And Paul says, restore him. That word restore um, means make things right. It's used in Matthew for sort of repairing the nets. That's the same kind of verb. So if the nets are broken after fishing, we restore the nets. And in the same way, it basically means that sin is a breakdown in our bodily machinery. It's a breakdown in our life and it must be restored. It's got to be repaired. Last week, uh, or the week just gone Wednesday last week, I sent my car in for a service. And that's because the car comes up and it says, you need a service. So I ring up the guy and the guy comes and picks up the car and takes it for a service. And it comes back and it's given a clean bill of health. Brilliant. They've changed the oil. They've replaced the filters. And I'm thinking, great, thanks for that. I'll see you next year. The very next day, Abby takes Levi in the car. I'm at work. And uh, gets about 100 yards down the road, massive crunking sound, and she's got a completely flat tire. Sometimes we can feel a bit like this with God. Sometimes we can feel we are completely right with God, we're on fire for Him, we're doing all this great stuff, we're loving Him, we're close to Him, and then boom, the very next day, it's a catastrophe. Everything's wrong, we feel tempted and we're really down. It's, it's no use saying, well... The rest of the car is okay. It's just one tire that's blown. I can just, I can see, I mean, the engine's fine. The gearbox is okay. The electric windows still work. But can I get to where I need to go? No. We've got to get our bodies completely restored again and again and again. So what did we do? We called the tire guy. The tire guy came and fixed it. He brought a new tire and he put it on. God is a bit like the tire guy. He constantly comes. He's always there. He's at the end of the blooming phone. He's always there ready for us with his van of tires. Because during that time without the tire, we couldn't go anywhere we'd planned. We had two days out while we waited for the tire guy. These things can take time to fix our lives. And we need constant monitoring afterwards. Because the very next day, even though the tire was fine, the tire light came on in the car. And I had to pump it up a little bit because he hadn't pumped it up as much as I wanted. So for three or four days, it felt like the car was a little unstable. And then, of course, it was fine. It's a bit like that with our, with our bodily selves, with the sinful nature of ourselves. It's a bit like needing constant oiling, constant repair. Jesus is there to restore us again and again and again. If you're driving down the, a windy road and there's, there's no one around and you see someone by the side of the road and they're obviously out of the car looking at their flat tire, it would take some strength to drive past. You're going to stop and you're going to make sure that they've got a tire guy out of the way. In order, to do, in order to restore a person to good, godly running condition, we've got to help each other. It says this in the first verse. In other words... Nobody who lives by the law of Christ and in the power of Christ can say about his brother or sister's sin, that's not my business. I don't have to add that to my burdens. It's their problem, not mine. Now, this is where it gets tough. Because I can imagine it's contrary to our actions here at Redeemer even. 
in the wider church, nationally, the Christian community worldwide. There are actions and attitudes and behaviors in this church, whether it's me or anyone else, that are contrary to this verse. This is a command. Contrary to the word of Christ, and we should be confronting each other and repaired and restored by Jesus long ago. But for whatever reason, we turn a blind eye, choosing who we talk to and confront about these things and restore. Now you might say, yeah, but Redeemer's such a new church. I mean, we've only been going two years. Surely these things don't happen. But I ask you this question. Do you think that the people who started this church or who have joined in its relatively short life came without carrying sin? Do you think that the acts of the flesh discussed in chapter 5 weren't prevalent in our lives already? Of course not. We all carry the attitudes and behaviors that need restoring. And we often put it down to Britishness, not an excuse for, well, an excuse for not wanting to cause offense. So I was reading one of, the, one of the discussions or one of the sermons from John Piper, and he said, this is particularly relevant for things talked about behind closed doors. These sins are talked about aplenty, and yet they're never confronted. The restoration process has never started. It may take a long time, but I pray this morning that we cultivate an atmosphere where the love for each other is so great that we take the breakdown of sin so seriously that we serve each other as these merciful mechanics. That's how John Piper puts it. Ultimately, only Christ can repair the breakdown of sin. Remember that. We're not forgiving each other for our own sins. Remember that. It's very clear. But it is our job to warn each other about these habits and about what our plans are that might be wrong and point each other to Jesus. John Piper calls Jesus the great mechanic. Point each other to Jesus, and he can fix any broken downness of our bodies. So bear each other's burdens, and specifically take on the trouble of helping each other realize that their sin gets repaired. Because it seems easy for us to take on each other's burdens if they're things like, I don't know, sickness, unemployment, death of someone in the family. They're burdens as well. And it seems easy to take on those burdens by, by talking to each other, by bringing each other meals. And that's all great. Remember what it said earlier. Continue to do good deeds to each other. But if we really care about a person's ultimate welfare, we're going to confront them on their sin as well as comfort them in their trouble. And so that's difficult. Where it's even more difficult is Paul says... He doesn't warn against the confrontation. He warns against the arrogance of the confronter. So the first verse is about the sin. The rest of the verses are all about the person who's confronting on the sin. What do I mean by that? If I know someone's doing something wrong, I might think it's quite good of me to go and tell them that what they're doing is wrong. And that is not. That is the very opposite of what this verse is saying. We've got to be... It says, I read the verse 1 again. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Tempted by what? By pride. 
Because I'm going to feel great about myself if I'm able to say, Edward, I'm picking on you because you're here. Hey, Edward, what you're doing, what you always do is wrong. I'm great because I don't ever do that. You see that? That's pride right there. Those who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Remember, we're pointing people to the great mechanic. All we've got to do is point people to Jesus. That's our only task here. So we've got to be self-aware. We've got to pray. But wouldn't it be mind-blowing? Wouldn't it be mind-blowing if this family of believers loved each other so much they simply couldn't look the other way when their brother or sister was in a habit of sin? Let's be that family. Because we're going to fulfill the law of Christ in verse 2. Now I know that there are a handful of people here who are helping Abby and I bear sin. There are people here who are helping us. And I hope that you have people who are helping you. That's what this family of believers should be about. We're a family. So, are we good on that? Because I'm going to move to the second half, which is completely different. The most important thing in the entire, chap- uh, the entire book of Galatians, he says, I'm writing this in really big letters. That's an awesome verse. I don't see comedy like that in the Bible so often. Can you imagine him writing? I don't know what the book is like. He, he's writing from far away, and then he writes it in massive capital letters. This is the most important bit. So don't forget it. You've got to the end. You think you've read 200 verses, and the end bit is just, yeah, yours in Christ, blah, blah, blah. See you next year. No. He left the best bit to the end. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. I.e., if you're telling people about all the great things that you do, you're trying to compel them to be circumcised. It says in verse 13, Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands to how many people have been circumcised. I haven't, and I don't know what it's going to be like. So how do we relate to this? Because this is a, quite an old phraseology. And the best thing I could come up with was the way that we boast in modern church. Things like we boast about the number of people that we've brought to Christ. You ever heard anyone say that? They might be meaning well, but what they're saying is, I helped that person become a Christian. That's boasting in the flesh. I brought the most number of people to the carol service. What are we really saying here? Boasting about the number of people in your community group. Pete's going to be preaching on community groups next week. This is not of the Spirit. Or something like boasting about the number of people that you brought to a dedication. Remember at the beginning I said I was preaching to myself first before anyone else. Let me read that verse again. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. We should be boasting in one thing and one thing alone. We need to be boasting in the cross. And that, that sounds like a Christian thing to say, doesn't it? What are we saying? Would we say, I'm boasting in the guillotine? Or the gas chamber? We're boasting in an instrument of torture? No. We boast in the cross because for Christians, 
Without the cross, every good thing or every bad thing that's been turned good by God was obtained to us by the cross of Jesus. Without the cross, everything, without Jesus dying for us, we get nothing but judgment, nothing but condemnation. Therefore, everything that we enjoy, everything that we boast in, we do so because of what he's done for us. So how can we become that radically cross-centered? So that everything that we exalt in is traced back to the cross. And I think the answer is simple. When we realize that Christ died on a cross, that we died with him, when you trust him, that death took effect on your life, my life. Paul says, it's your death to the world and the world's death to you. Which means... When you put your trust in Christ, when you put your trust in the cross, your bondage to the world is broken. The overwhelming power of our sinful nature from Adam is broken. We're a corpse to the world, and the world is a corpse to us. Or to put it positively, verse 15, the essence is we are a new creation. The old you is dead, and the new you is alive in Christ. The new you is a you of faith. And what faith exalts in is not of the world, but Christ. And especially, especially Christ dying on a cross for us. We need to crave that cross because we don't deserve it. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I deserve that job and I've got a nice house because of what I did. You're missing the point. There is an infinite gap between you and God. Do you feel that? Do we exalt in the cross of Jesus for everything? It comes back to that pride that we all have. Why is it that I can't talk to my brother or my friend about the sin that they have? Because ultimately I value them liking me more than I love their soul. And more than I love what's really best for them. Now, that's really hard to accept for me, more than anyone. I'd say it's maybe a little bit different with a spouse, because Abby and I tell each other about our faults all the time. But why is it that I can't tell you or you or you about your sin? Because ultimately what I really want is you to like me and you, I to think that you like me. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. It says that in Ephesians 2. Now in a minute we're going to sing, we're going to sing the lyrics, and we're going to sing a song which has lyrics, of grace is not earned. And I'm just going to read them to you now, because it, it's basically everything that the end of this chapter is saying, but in a song. So we're going to sing it in a minute. It says, grace is not earned nor deserved, it is a gift from God. Saved by your mercy alone, rescued by your great love. Grace is the heart of the Father. Grace is the gift of the Son. Grace is the work of the Spirit, revealing the wonder of an amazing God. Raised by your life, now in Christ, chosen and dearly loved, I am seen through your eyes, righteous through Jesus' blood. Ransomed, restored, forgiven, my sins are remembered no more. Though still I'll stumble, you'll keep me 
by grace, I'll continue in unending love. And it is basically Galatians 6. No one may boast because you didn't do anything to save yourself. Only boasting in the cross. If there is the one crime, it's self-exaltation. Do we trust in God or do we want to be God? How do we uncover or overcome the relentless urge of the sinful nature of the human heart? The battle against pride is the battle for joy. Don't boast in the flesh of your kids. Don't boast in the flesh of your works on a Sunday. Don't be that religious guy. Don't go to the most meetings. Because what we're saying to God is we're boasting in ourselves. We're saying, God, I don't need you. I'm better than you. My identity is in what I do, not in what you've done for me. So we can choose pride or we can boast in Jesus. Let's not be prideful. Let's be extravagant in the Father's love. It says in verse 15, Neither circumcised nor uncircumcised means anything. What counts is the new creation. When we're a new creation, God builds on us. He's constantly restoring us. He starts by replacing the engine and the gearbox and the tires. And then once they're working, he starts hoovering the upholstery. Shining the door handle. The old life of sin is defeated and has been destroyed by what Jesus did on the cross. The old nature has been conquered by the crucifixion. And we stand on the other side as new creations. Our goals, our values, our attitudes, our thoughts are new. New everything. We are new people. We've not just been repaired, we've been completely renewed. And that's why my car analogy falls down. Because every time you even remotely get a chip in your windscreen... Jesus comes and replaces the whole car. And the tire guy didn't do that for me. As Christians, we have nothing to fear. There is nothing in the world that has power over us. The gospel destroys that hold on us. It changes our future. It gives us a new creation in the new world. It's a new birth. And grace is the entry point to that new creation. And it's all we'll ever need in the Christian life. So, Abby, if you could come up. In summary, there's three things. Those who live in the Spirit need to gently restore others. We should only ever boast in the cross of Jesus, and neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is that we're a new creation. So we're going to sing this song, Grace is Not Earned, and I would just ask that you are just totally open to God. You are open to becoming a new creation, you are repentant before him, and that you accept that it is by grace alone that we have been saved. Amen.